0: Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So we've been using very loosely a book written by Richard and Mary Alice Fola, and the book is called Turnaround. Mary Alice and Richard have been very involved in the unity movement at very high levels over the course of their ministerial and professional careers, having worked in Silent Unity, our 24-hour prayer ministry, having been editors of Daily Word, our daily devotional, that's been in print for, for eons. And one of the books that they wrote is this book called Turnaround. And in it, they are identifying seven stepping stones to turning our lives around when we feel like we're in a place of challenge or confusion or just things aren't working. And so last week we took a look at the very first step, and that step being awareness. And it is the first step in any change that we will ever make in our lives individually or collectively. We have to first really get clear with where are we now. Not to, not spend all of our time trying to figure out how we got there, Uh, Where are we right now? And this second step, blessing, is critically important in empowering us to be able to begin the process of understanding and to begin the process of moving forward. And blessing is about not waiting for something out there to be different, but being willing to look at what exists currently through new and through fresh eyes. The idea of turnaround is built on a few very key concepts. One, the reminder that we are spiritual beings, that we are having a human experience, but we are more than this individual human experience. We are first and foremost spiritual beings. It is also built upon the the idea, the belief that there is that in us that is divine. There is that in us that is holy, that is pure, that is sacred, that truly is made in the image and after the likeness of God by whatever name we choose to call God. And it is based on the idea that there is a creative force at work in and through us, and it is up to us to tap into that creative source and begin to work with it in a more mindful way. And when we do, real change, real positive change can happen. I was thinking about this word blessing quite a bit yesterday for a couple of reasons. Yesterday we had our third annual pet blessing day and so I spent quite a bit of time. Okay we can clap for that. I spent quite a bit of time with the animals that were brought for pet blessing day and there were Mostly dogs, a few cats, and I'm so surprised. We we are so inclusive, even with you know, pet blessing. People can bring any kind of pet they want. And so far I haven't had to deal with blessing a snake or or critters that might just cause me to have to take my breath, you know, and and say an extra prayer or affirmation. But anyway, I was thinking about this idea of blessing and and what it means, what it means to me. And what it means to me is to see and to appreciate and to call forth the innate good within anyone and within anything. And that, that's what I had yesterday in these moments of just sometimes being able to hold the pet and sometimes they were all over the place and sometimes they were little and sometimes they were really big, but to be able to look in their eyes and to, to see and to appreciate and to call forth the good, that is an act of blessing. And just last Sunday, when I was doing the receiving line, an engaged couple in our congregation came through the line and they said, we, "We're going away to be married. It's a very, very small wedding. but, but would you just bless us? would you bl-? And it, I felt so honored to be in that place to, to, to speak a word of blessing. The word blessing," as it's used in the Bible, means to confer prosperity upon to confer something good upon something. I want to live my life that way. I want to live my life understanding blessing a whole lot more. How about you? How about you? In this book, the Jeffola's begin this chapter with a little bit of a visual and a story. They say, there are some blue shirts and some green shirts out on the field playing a sports game. And the blue shirts strike and, and hit a goal. And the fans cheer. And then the, the green shirts hit a goal. And the fans cheer. And it goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And the different fans are cheering. And at the end of the day, the blue shirts win. And the blue shirts and fans are so excited and so happy. And the green shirts are so dejected. And their fans are so discouraged. And they ask, was the outcome of the game good? or was the outcome of the game bad? Which was it? Which was it? Great. (laughs) Great. It would be fair to say that for most people it would depend on whether you were cheering for the blue team or the green team, right? That it is so much a mental construct that events by and large are neutral, but we don't live within just the events in our lives, do we? We live within the event plus what? The story, our interpretation, everything that we think it means. And that has usually so much more impact and influence on us than the actual event itself. The very first point that is important for us to remember and really get is this, that by and large, Events are neutral. Say that with me. Events are neutral. Events are neutral. It's what we layer over the event that determines how we experience the event to a very large extent. If that were not true, then everyone would experience every single event exactly the same way. Do they? No. No. No, it depends, we could put it very simplistically, on whether you're a blue shirt or a green shirt, right? It depends upon the lens through which you are choosing to see the thing. I'm reminded of the story of the Zen Buddhist who had a beautiful stallion. And one day the stallion escaped the yard. The gate was not locked and the stallion was gone and the Zen Buddhists friends all came around him to, to commiserate with him. How unfortunate it is that you have lost your, your prize black stallion. To which the Zen Buddhist said, it is neither good nor bad. It just is. A few weeks later, that prize stallion returned and was in the corral, having brought five really nice mares. Laughter The neighbors all came back. You are so fortunate. What great news! To which the Zen Buddhist said, It is neither good nor bad. It simply is. The Zen Buddhist's only son was out a few days later on the black stallion trying to to tame it and was thrown off the horse and injured his arm very severely. The neighbors all came. What are you going to do? How are you going to manage? Your only able-bodied child is injured. And what did the Zen Buddhist say? It is neither good nor bad. It simply is. And a few days later, the emperor's general came, knocking on the door requiring all able-bodied young men to be conscripted into service. And guess who couldn't go? And what did the neighbors do? They all, the story does what? It goes on and on and on, the point being, the point being, the event itself is neutral. The event itself is neutral. And so if we find ourselves in a tough place in our lives, I know it takes some growing into to get there, but if we can work with ourselves to get to the place where we hold the the vision, where we say to ourselves, this is neither good nor bad, it simply is what is right now, we will free ourselves up to be able to deal with it much more effectively. The second turning point is this, what happens to us is not nearly as important as what happens through us. What happens to us is not nearly as important as what happens through us. Say that with me. What happens to us is not nearly as important as what happens through us. Have you noticed in your life how much stuff you cannot control? (laughs) Have you noticed that? Is there still a little part of you, like I know there is in me, that's still trying to control it sometimes, right? right, and getting upset over what I can't control. I live sometimes for long periods of time in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thank God you can't wear out prayers. Have you ever thought about that? If you have a favorite prayer, you know, you just can't wear it out, right? Thank God you can't wear it out. What happens to us is not nearly as important as what happens through us. And again, it's a matter of our perspective. It's a matter of how we are interpreting it, right? Whatever story or name we're we're putting to that. And it's somebody's phone, maybe. Can somebody make that go off? because it may not be distracting you, but it's distracting me. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. So the turning point, again, it's not what happens to us. It's how we respond to it. It's how it moves through us. In the book, the authors talk about a true story of a couple who had decided to leave their very high-paying jobs and to sell everything and to go into business for themselves. And what they decided they wanted to do was to build small sailboats and sell them. And they started this business, and they were working very, very hard at it, and they were just at the point where they were beginning to squeak by two years into it When just a mile down the road, a great big company came in that built and sold all different kinds of boats. And they felt, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? There's absolutely no way that we can compete with this level company. We're going to be doomed. And then they started to work with their attitude. And then they started to work with how they were perceiving what was going on. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, they had an idea. Has that ever happened to you? An idea pops in that you hadn't been thinking of before. An idea pops into their mind. They realize that that whole area in which their their little store, their little company was, that the clientele was changing, that that area was beginning to attract a lot of tourism. And they got this idea, well, maybe instead of selling these boats, we will start to rent them to the incoming tourists. It caught on like wildfire, no competition whatsoever. The other company making the boats and selling them, they had the only business in town making and renting these boats. So what happens to us is not as important as what? What happens through us, what happens through us. The third is to stop making decisions based on appearances. Didn't a wise person that we study quite a bit in unity, his name is Jesus, didn't he kind of talk about that? Didn't he kind of tell us how dangerous it is to judge according to appearances? How dangerous it is. It's certainly short-sighted to judge only by appearances. The whole spectrum of the electromagnetic spectrum of what can be seen... Do you know that we can only see across that vast electromagnetic spectrum only about 1%? Think about that for a moment. Think about that. If you and I can only see about 1% of what is, don't you think it's a little foolhardy to only judge based on appearances? Would you want to make some of the most important decisions in your life based on only 1%? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And so it means going back to some of those fundamental principles, the fundamental principles that I shared with you earlier, that we are spiritual beings living in and through a human experience, that we have the spark of the divine within us, that there is a creative force moving through us that we need to tap into and cooperate with. And when we do, we begin to not be limited by just that 1% that we can see easily, we begin to be aware of so much more don't you want to live in that place yes no I want to live I want to live in that place and so for me part of it is when I feel like gosh the 1% that I'm seeing in my life right now isn't very pleasant have you ever been at that place have you ever been there I was going to use a different word but I won't use that word wasn't a super naughty word, but I'm still not going to use it. Where you can look at that 1% and go, boy, this really is not very pleasant right now. I don't like it. I have chosen to look at those times, and I didn't coin the word, but I have chosen to look at them as blessings. Do you know what blessings are? It's a lesson that is a blessing. Say blessing with me. Blessing. Blessing. Blessing that things are either an easy-to-see outright blessing—and nobody needs help with that, really. Those are pretty easy to see. But when they seem to be in disguise—you know the ones I'm talking about, don't you? You know the ones I'm talking about—to call them a blessing. Some of you who are more familiar with the Bible and some of the stories in both the Old and the New Testament might remember this Old Testament story and visual of, of Jacob There's a visual of him climbing a ladder. He's at a difficult place in his life, and it's not so much a physical ladder, it's a a metaphor. But in this, he is saying, I will not let you go. He's wrestling with an angel as he's climbing climbing this ladder. I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let this 1% go meaning I will not let this 1% drag me down until it blesses me, until I can see, until I can get some seed of good in it. If we truly believe, and our teaching is founded on this, that there is one presence and one power in the universe, God the good omnipotent, if we really believe that, if we really believe that there is no place where this energy, this presence of God is not, then it is illogical, it does not follow, to believe that there is any place or anything where there is not at least some aspect of a blessing, some aspect of good in it. It requires sometimes looking a lot more diligently, though, right? Sometimes it requires looking a lot more diligently and staying in it long enough, just as Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Fourth turning point, or fourth um, teaching point, is to change our part of the equation. To change our part of the equation by changing our attitude first. And blessing, the act of blessing, helps us really to change our attitude. But to change the equation by changing our attitude first. My dad used to, in the very early days of my starting the Unity Center, he said, you know, Wendy, it really is an attitude adjustment center. You shouldn't call it a church. It's an attitude adjustment center. And, you know, I think he's right, or was right. He was right. You know, it is an a- unity is, as a teaching, an attitude adjustment approach to life. If you think of, have you ever seen... Um, a mechanical device that is just a whole series of different sizes and shapes gear, uh, shapes of gears that are all interconnected. Have you ever seen those? And you just turn one, and what happens to all the others? Because you're interconnected, what happens to all the others? they move. I can remember being a kid fascinated with things like that. I don't know why, but just fascinated with stuff like that. And what's true is if you were to change anything about any one of those gears, it would impact what? All the rest. Our attitude is a little bit like that. Our attitude is a little bit like that. It's like we are either the, the, bring the attitude of pessimism and doom and gloom to everything or we bring the attitude of optimism, the attitude of possibility to everything. You've probably all heard the story of the two little boys, twins, that looked exactly alike but were so totally different in personality. One twin was always the pessimist. No matter what was going on, there was going to be something bad. And the other was always the optimist, could always see the good. And the father decided to play kind of a little game on them to see just how far this kind of difference would go. And so for their birthdays, the father created a different experience for each of them in their rooms. This is a weird father when you hear the rest of the story. For the pessimist, he filled the room with all of the popular toys of the day. And for his his optimist son, he filled his room with horse manure. (laughs) And the next day, as he's walking past these rooms, the pessimist with all the toys in his room is crying. And the dad asks him why, and he says, my friends aren't going to like me. They're going to be jealous of me. And now I have to read all these instructions for all of these toys, and they all need batteries, and the batteries aren't going to last forever. And why did you do this to me? And he walks past his other son's bedroom. And his other son he sees is shoveling all the manure and is happy. And he says, why are you acting this way? And he says, with all this in here, there's gotta be a pony somewhere. <laughs> I thought you'd all heard that one a long time. But I love that. With all, there's gotta be a pony in here somewhere. I wanna be like that little boy. I want to be like that little boy with all this. There's got to be a pony in there. And the last two ideas are, are, are short. The fifth is to suspend your old way of thinking about the situation. To suspend your old way of thinking about the situation. To force yourself to look at it differently. And I, you know, when I think of that, I think of Jesus' powerful teaching that is so often not understood in this way. His teaching when he said to turn the other cheek, he was not suggesting being a doormat. He was not suggesting letting people take advantage of you. I believe that mystically and psychologically he was giving a very powerful and important teaching when he said to turn the other cheek because the moment we turn the other cheek, we are looking in a different direction and we will begin to see something that we weren't seeing before. And this is the way I think we need to approach those difficult places in our lives, to say, God, Spirit, Buddha, Allah, whatever you, whatever name you give to the presence, help me to turn the other cheek. Help me to be able to see this differently, because if I can see it differently, I can be in it and with it differently. If I can see it differently, I will find a way forward. And then the last is, is this to love your way out. Say that with me. To love your way out. To love your way out. Whatever you're in, to love your way out, to love your way through. I wrote something for myself last night. I will live this day with a thankful heart. I will live this day with a thankful heart. So in closing, there's a homework assignment I have for you. And it's, oh, don't grumble. (laughs) It's a simple homework assignment. And it is for you to find a statement that you can use that is a blessing statement for you. A blessing statement for you. And make it short. It could be something as simple, there's got to be a blessing in this. There's got to be a blessing in this. It could be like Jacob, I will not let this go until it blesses me. Or it could be like the little boy, and it might put a smile on your face. It could be, there's got to be a pony in here. But it's a blessing statement, right? Whether you're holding somebody's precious little pet looking into their eyes, or whether you're giving words of encouragement to a couple, or you're looking at a difficult situation in your life, to bless it is to see it differently, It is to appreciate the seed of good, however small it might be, however hidden it might be, to see the good that is there, and to call that good forth. Let me close with a few words from the authors. If there is a persistent challenge following you around, don't run away from it any longer. Stop, confront the beast face to face, and know within even the most negative appearance exists the seed of an unexpected blessing. Don't waste another precious minute. Make way for the next exciting chapter of your life by blessing that situation now. Namaste.